It's good to see everyone. How's, uh, how's everyone's week been? Everyone feeling okay? Yes. Yeah? Okay, cool. All right. Well, let's pray together and then we'll dive straight in. Dear Lord, we thank you for the time that we can spend together. Thank you for uh, the fact that we get to see each other and we get to um, meet in your presence, Lord. We thank you that you want to talk to us. Um, help us hear you loud and clear and please speak whatever you want to say. Um, and help us, Lord, act out of what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so tonight we're going to talk about a topic that I feel like I was going through the archives of the messages. And uh, I've actually talked about this before. Um, the topic is surrender. And uh, it's been on my mind a lot lately. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I kind of listened to excerpts of the thing that I think was like over five years ago. Um, or about five years ago, and I, I feel like I'm a very different person now compared to back then. So it's going to be a very different uh, meditation on this topic. So, uh, and then maybe in another five years, it's another meditation, but that's the glory and the beauty of being in relationship with Jesus and the glory and beauty of uh, his unfolding wonder in our lives. So let's, uh, let's kind of, let's break it down. So surrender, what do you hear? What do you think of when you hear that word? Ukraine might come up into your memories, <laughs> or war in general. I'm not saying Ukraine specifically, but like war in general, and like okay, so losing. huh? Losing. Losing, right? Yeah, it's yeah. That's a pretty strong connotation, I think, or yeah, link between that word surrender and um, and losing. Um, yeah, generally, I think most of us, when we think of the word surrender, we tend to think that we are giving up, we're losing, uh, it, it is a negative thing, it's not a positive thing. Um, I think one way to kind of potentially frame it for us is that the opposite of surrender, what would you guys say the opposite of surrender is? Control. Yeah, 100%. Um, I actually think that literally comes up as the first antonym when you look at the dictionary. <laughs> so. so control, uh, control is um, generally a positive thing, right? Self-control. And, uh, you know, remote control, remote control. <laughs> fantastic. I love it. So control is something that is by and large, our society, our, you know, mindsets, we seek control, we run from surrender. Yeah, we run from any sense of like, this aspect of losing that control, right. Um, and, you know, I think that um, this happens in our Christian lives, too. You will hear people talk about, um, you gotta, you gotta wrestle with God to find out His His will in your life, and you gotta, you know, and and there's this aspect of like it's on you to to control the outcome, um, or uh, you know, uh, I gotta wrestle with my sin and my temptation, and I gotta come out on the other side because that's the only way to overcome, right? Um, and I want to say, and perhaps I'm wrong. I'm happy for a healthy debate and discussion to come from this. But I want to say tonight that I think the Bible gives us the exact opposite framework, uh, that it is all about surrender. It is all about giving up any sense of control we have. So we're going to look at um, three story, well, three like characters, really. Um, the last one's going to be two or three like snippets. Um, and we're going to look and see how 
surrender is the way. And, and we're going to look at it from the perspective of surrender being the way to um, ultimate security, surrender being the way to ultimate freedom, and surrender being the way to ultimate uh, blessing. Okay? Um, but before we dive into that, I want to address two lies um, about surrender. Um, one of the is, is kind of what we've touched on, which is that uh, surrender is a weakness, right? Surrender is something where it's like you're giving up or you're laying down. I want to tell you that biblical surrender is um, actually strength. Biblical surrender requires um, such a unique heart before God and such an inner strength towards God that it is a willful act. It's not something you just like, I give up, God, have your way, take Jesus, take the wheel. Um, it's not that. Uh, it is intentionally in the small moments and the big moments. It is a way of saying, God, I put you first. Um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of strength. Um, the second lie that I think we should uh, talk about is, is uh, the passivity of it. And, and I just kind of mentioned that. So it's not passive and it's not weak. It is actually completely active and it is a complete source of your strength as someone who follows Jesus. And hopefully we see that in each of these stories that we're going to dive into today. Um, uh, and before we actually get into the stories, the, the, when I was thinking about this topic, I remembered an episode from The Simpsons. Um, and this hopefully is an illustration that we can kind of uh, carry across for this whole thing. There's an episode of The Simpsons where Homer passes a vending machine and he really wants... Uh, buzz cola but he does not have any cash so he's like I'm gonna grab a hold so he wheels his hand in there grabs a hold of the can and can't pull it out he's stuck and then he's like dragging himself uh, stuck with the vending machine and then he passes another vending machine and he says man I really want some candy and he sticks his hand up that machine and now he's stuck in two machines and then a guy comes up to him and he's like I'm sorry we've tried everything we're gonna have to saw your arms off and then Homer says Will they grow back? And the guy's like, yeah, sure, they'll grow back. <laughs> and as the guy starts revving up the chainsaw, uh, the other guy says, Homer, are you just holding on to the, the can and the food? And he's like, uh, what's your point? And then they laugh at him as he walks out with his hands intact. Uh, that is biblical surrender. It is a willful act. It is an act of strength. It's an act of intelligence and, and wisdom. Um, it is an act of letting go um, because you know that there is something better. So let's have a look. So uh, the first story is going to be in Genesis chapter 22. Pull up your Bibles. So <clears throat> this is um, surrender leading to ultimate security. So this is something that has been going on a lot for me lately, um, where when I think about my future, uh, you know, one young baby, another one on the way, um, and nothing is guaranteed in life. Uh, no breath that I take is certain. Um, I think about security. I think about security for my children. I think about security for my wife. I think about security for myself. And I want a certain life. Um, and I want that security to live that certain life. And out of that place, what I want to do is I want control. And so what am I going to invest in? What am I going to put my time and energy in to bring about some level of security um, in my day-to-day -day life? And uh, God has been teaching me very patiently. He has been teaching me, uh, let go. Because all I do when I do that is I hurt myself and I stress myself out. And I actually create less security 
um, in the process. And we're going to literally see an example of that in Scripture. So Genesis chapter 22. This, as you may know, is the story of the binding of Isaac. Uh, Abraham giving up his son, um, uh, surrendering the life of his son um, on uh, the mountain or the hill or whatever, and uh, God cha- trialing him, saying, give up the life of your son. Now, what's really important as we go into this story is to know a couple things. First is that Isaac is Abraham's security. Isaac is the promised child. Abraham is an old man, um, and Isaac is the son of promise. God promised Abraham Way back when, when he first took him out of uh, his homeland, he said, come, follow me. And uh, well, not exactly those words, but come on. And uh, I promise that I will bless you. I will give you, uh, I will make you into a great nation. um, And then I'll give you a land that you will call your own. And out of you and your descendants, the whole earth will be blessed. That was God's initial promise to Abraham. Abraham believed him and he went on his way. But years and years and years passed. Abraham's an old dude now. Well, he was always pretty old. And no kid. And his wife is old as well. No kid. And these guys, they're not dumb. They they know biological clocks and everything like that. And no child. So they get stressed out about this, Abraham and Sarah, his wife. They get stressed out. So you know what they decide to do? They decide, Sarah says, I got this, this, uh, this slave of mine. You know what? I'll give it to you. You have a child. That'll be the child of promise. That'll be the one that uh, we will... Uh, you know, God will then bless and, you know, everything will come out from this kid. Don't consult God, nothing. They do this. Then when the baby's born, horror and dysfunction and tension and drama and there's a lot of enmity and struggle and they abuse uh, the woman and they, the child gets maligned by Sarah and uh, it's a horrible situation. And God says, This is not my plan. This is not what I am about. This is not the child of promise. This is not the way I wanted it to happen. You took matters into your own hands. You tried to secure the promise for yourself and look at how it's uh, coming out. And then Isaac comes along and it's a miracle. And God says, this is the child. And Isaac means the child of laughter. He brings joy to his family's life. And uh, everyone's happy. They get rid of Hagar and Ishmael, um, uh, Abraham's firstborn child. Um, and that's a horrible thing. And, and God sees that. And it's, it's, it's something that will later have great ramifications. But um, the whole thing is that this is God's plan. This is how he wants it to come to pass. This is what security looks like. But then all of a sudden we read this. So Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and onwards. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, And Abraham said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. All right. Your son, your only son. He's not. There's Ishmael. But the point of what God is saying here is that this is the child of promise. This is the child where your future, you know, this is the promise that I've given you. This is the kid that I will do this through. So go on, take him, sacrifice him. Whoa, right? Now, I like, this hits you in different ways as you get older in life. And I could not ever, like, you know, the the greatest source of pain and discomfort at the thought of 
my daughter being hurt at the hands of anyone, let alone my own hands. Um, Abraham does this. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hands uh, the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. All right. Horrific. Horrific. Um, And if you are reading this and you are not feeling horrified, it means you are used to this story and you're in the Christianese, whatever. And and like that's not necessarily a bad thing, but be horrified by this. This is horrific. Uh, It's supposed to be horrific. This is not a story you're supposed to read and just say, "Eh, yeah, Abraham, good on you, mate. Like you're, you're listening to God. No, be horrified. What is God up to? What is Abraham doing? What's going on here? There are two things, two fundamental things going on here. One is God's perspective, which is Abraham and his wife have tried to take matters into their own hands before. These are the people that I am trying to bless the whole world through. And these people cannot trust me enough to let me do what I need to do in their lives. That's God's perspective. Abraham's perspective is... Is, is this, and, and we really do have to try to put ourselves in his shoes here. It is that I have tried to do things on my own, and it has not gone well. But when God has intervened and stepped in, and at this point in Abraham's life, God has stepped in multiple times. Um, when God steps in and intervenes, things go very well. Not well in the sense that it's all easy and understandable and like, you know, whatever. But God is trustworthy. God is Christianese word faithful. That God is actually worthy of the trust that I put in myself. So Abraham gives us two. We have two hints as to why this is going on in his head. First is that he says to his servants, hey, you guys wait here and me and my son will go up and we'll come back to you. Now, you could be cynical and you can kind of say he's just lying or whatever else and whatever. Uh, but no, I, I think what we're supposed to understand and infer from this is that Abraham honestly believes his son will be restored to him. No matter what happens, his child will be okay. The second thing is how he responds to his child himself. And again, you could be cynical and say he's just lying to Isaac so that you know, Isaac won't freak out or whatever else. But, you know, Isaac would probably, like, start putting two and two together as his dad, you know, tying him up. So, and he still goes on the altar. So the whole thing here is that Abraham says, God will provide. One way or another, God will provide. And 
Maybe Abraham was expecting a resurrection. Maybe Abraham was expecting exactly what ends up happening. But this is what God does. Um, In verse 12, uh, God said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And being Christians, being people who follow Jesus, uh, millennia on from this story, these words are supposed to hit us right in the face. Yeah? Um, we're not just supposed to see what's going on in this story. We are supposed to see that God would never ask anything of you and me that he would not be willing to do himself. And we're supposed to see God's incredible grace and his incredible love um, and how much he is willing to surrender um, and what he wants from us, which is a completely surrendered heart, because it is what he did for us in the first place. So um, he then, God said uh, that, and then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So what God here does is he reinstates and re-emphasizes the promise that he made to Abraham. Now, you know, you could discuss and debate. This could open up a whole can of worms. What if Abraham didn't do it? Point is this. God tested him. God tested him knowing he was able to be tested. And God tested the thing that needed to be tested, which is his sense of security, the very thing that he's been striving for to secure the legacy and the promise that God gave him. That's the thing that God needed to break in him to find out if he was ready to carry God's name and to carry God's reputation and to be the source of the blessing that he wanted to bring to his family and the whole of the nation. And again, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is supposed to smack you in the face because in your offspring shall be... um, uh, uh, so the, the, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. This, this is language that the prophets will pick up and use to identify the Messiah, the coming chosen one of God. This is the origins of this. So Abraham, the, the, the incredible um, truth here is that when Abraham did try to control the situation... It just, through what happened with Hagar and Ishmael, it just caused pain and it caused division and it caused trauma and it caused heartache and it caused him to sin, caused his wife to sin. It caused a lot of dysfunction. But when Abraham chose to surrender, even though it was not guaranteed, it was not an easy thing for Abraham to make the three-day journey to this place, to take his child up there, to bind his son, to have the knife in his hand, ready to strike his child. None of that, none of that would have been easy. But it is precisely that that secured what he wanted to secure. 
and any other version of events would not have uh, led to the same blessing and the same outcome. So what are you trying to secure in your life and how are you desperately trying to claw for control? What do you need to give up to God? And what do you need him to decide for you rather than you deciding for yourself? All right, so that's, that's our first story, okay? All right, let's have a look at the next story. Genesis chapter 32, we're going to jump ahead. So the only way to secure true blessing, surrender is the only way to secure true blessing. So again, you know, there are, I remember when the PlayStation 5 was uh, announced and they were saying that pre-orders would uh, come out on a certain day. I was like, I set an alarm, I was going to work I, like, made sure I went to work early so that I would have time to, like, get the computer up and, like, you know, have a credit card out, ready to go. And uh, I had a whole game plan on how I was going to secure my PS5. And I'm glad to say I did. And, um, and I, I, yeah, anyway. So, uh, blessing. The PS5 picked it up that day. I walked out of the store. I was only one of the handful of people that managed to secure it on day one. And I walked through the shopping center thinking, I am blessed to carry this PlayStation 5. And quick, get to the car so no one mugs me. Um, I secured my own blessing. And I had, to, I had to work at it. I had to plan for it. I had to, you know, and it worked out, thank goodness. But, uh, but it very rarely does, it, does that happen. I can tell you multiple other times where it doesn't happen. But anyway, so um, uh, we all have this. We all do this, whether it be your uni course, your job, your relationship or what, what you hope for in your relationship. Um, like whatever version, you know, whatever version of blessing, whatever strikes your heart is like, this would be a blessing um, or this is the thing that I want. Uh, when you try to secure it, be very careful because the very thing that you may be trying to secure may hurt you and may actually end up being a curse rather than a blessing. Um, and and uh, this is a biblical principle. Um, do not do what is good in your own eyes, right? Like, you know, Adam and Eve saw that the, the fruit of the tree was good in their eyes and uh, it, was, it was not. Um, uh, so the whole thing here is we're, we're going to have a look at a story where um, there is a man who is blessed. Here's, here's the crazy part. This man is actually blessed. From before he was born, God said, the younger shall rule over the, the older. Before he was born, God chose him and said, this is my guy. Um, and yet, his whole life, what he is doing is he is trying to secure his own blessing. His, his name literally means grabber or deceitful one. Uh, this guy, his name is Jacob. And this is his uh, story. Uh, well, we're going to read about how God finally turns that whole situation around. Genesis chapter 32. Before we read this, I'm going to give you a bit of background. So Jacob, yeah, his whole life, like from the very beginning of his birth, where he literally grabs his brother's heels as he's, he's a twin, as his brother's getting born and he yanks him. And, and like from that all the way to stealing his brother's firstborn right from his parents, stealing uh, blessings from his brother, stealing from his uncle Laban, um, take it, well, not stealing, but manipulating situations to his advantage and trying to secure. And then guess what? He gets cheated as well because he's a little conniving little 
worm. And so his uncle is like, I can't trust this guy. So he starts to manipulate and, and deal with him. And there's a seven-year struggle. And his whole life is just struggle, struggle, struggle. Heel grabbing, deceit, manipulation, cons, uh, lies. Until finally his brother Esau, uh, who he stole the birthright from. And Esau promised the day that Jacob left his family. He promised, if I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. Um, Esau is pursuing his brother and Jacob has left Laban and Laban was pursuing Jacob uh, because Jacob left in a hurry and he's like, peace out. I'm sick of Laban and I got everything I want. I got my two wives and da, 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 da. And so Laban's on this side. Esau's on this side. He's running away. And now he hears that Esau's coming after him and he's freaking out. He's like, I'm going to die. Like, as soon as my brother catches up to me, that's the end. He's going to take everything. I'm just going to die. And Jacob comes to this point. He's still conniving. He's still figuring things out. He's like, okay, uh, you guys go uh, send multiple caravans of uh, gifts to my brother and like say, oh, you know, he can't wait to see you. And like, here, take, accept this gift and like butter him up for me. And, uh, you know, my wife and children, come on, go up ahead and split you up into two camps so that if one of you guys get attacked, at least another part of you will escape or whatever else. And he's, he's making all these plans until eventually he sends everyone away. He's by himself. And this is where we get this story. Uh, Chapter 32, verses 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the fort of Jabok. Uh, He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. All right. Weird, right? Just like smash cut. Um, There's... Jacob's alone, and then boom, this guy appears out of nowhere, and he picks a fight with him. Uh, Yeah, you're supposed to be, like, you're supposed to be going, what the heck? Uh, Please note one thing. Jacob did not pick this fight. The man picked this fight, okay? Um, Verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Okay, so you got this image Jacob's desolate alone left and then this guy comes up and they are wrestling all night long and Jacob is just not giving up now we know later on spoiler spoiler alert this is God wrestling with Jacob Um, and uh, the reality here is why why is this happening why this is happening is because God is desperate to break out of Jacob his self-dependence. God is desperate for him to let go of control. Just a few verses before this, Jacob prays to God and he says, deliver me, help me, save me. I can't do this anymore by myself. And then this man rocks up and starts wrestling him. Now, the question then is, well, like, what the heck? Why all night? Like, The reality is that Jacob desperately wants to let go, and yet he can't let go. Jacob desperately wants God to take control, and yet he literally is continuing to... He will not give up. He will not let God win. We do this all the time. We do this all the time. 
in multiple aspects, whether it comes related to securing blessing or your security or whatever, your freedom, or any other aspect of life that we won't talk about tonight, um, you will cry out to God and you will say to him, help me, take this from me. I want you to have control. And yet you will not give him control. But you know what? God really does want control. And he really does not want you to to be suffering. He really doesn't want you to be suffering. So what God has to do here is he has to mortally wound and and permanently wound Jacob to the point where he is incapacitated uh, for him to give up. You you see this in in, uh, MMA fights and stuff, right? So like, you know, there's a guy and he's getting like, you know, he's lost. Like he could just like, you know, it could be over, but the guy just keeps getting up and, and then they choke him out until like tap out, right? Like, okay, I'm done. Like, you know, or he, he passes out and then like, you know, that's probably a better example here. Like someone passing out um, and that's how the match is lost as opposed to like, just like saying, all right, I'm done. Like that, that I know my match. God did not want to destroy Jacob, but he had to permanently wound him to get him to this place of there you are you have no ability now but to trust me and this is what happens um verse 26 uh then he said the angel the, the, the god said let me go for the day has broken but jacob said i will not let you go unless you bless me this could seem to you like he's trying to manipulate and again get what no this is a man at the end of his tether This is a man who realizes I have no option now, but you to bless me. Like there is no way for me to obtain anything for myself anymore other than for you to give it to me. And he's lying on the ground, incapacitated, clinging on. And he's like, please bless me. And God said to him this, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. And trust me, this was not, this was not a good thing for him to say. This was not like a, I'm Jacob. How are you? Like, good to meet you. No, Jacob, deceitful, conniver, schemer, usurper, heel grabber. This is a this is shameful for him. What he's doing now, he's confessing his shame before God. Um, and then God said to him, uh, "Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel." All right, Israel. So, so obviously, this is the name of the Israelites. Jacob, the father of the twelve tribes. Um, Israel uh, means stripping. We're, we're gonna like see what God says, but root words, uh, Sarah. That's the 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 um, root word, and then L. Uh, Sarah means or uh, obviously not Hebrew or whatever. So like you know my pronunciation is not. But anyway, Sarah it means um, uh, strive, contend, um, uh, battle. Uh, wrestle for power, like that kind of deal. Um, L means God, right? Uh, Let's say content and God, okay? So God says, for you have striven or contended with God and with men and have prevailed. This name doesn't just mean that, though. This name has uh, a double meaning because on the one hand, it means you've striven and contended with God and you've prevailed, But on the other hand, it also means God contended with you. God wrestled you. Like in Hebrew, like the object doesn't have to come before, like it can be interchangeable. 
God contends with you as well. God pursues us. God wrestles with us. God does want you to give him control. And God will go at it with you. He will pick the fight with you because he does not want you to hurt yourself. He would way rather hurt you and know that you'll survive than you hurt yourself and destroy yourself in the process. And so um, then we get this, verse 29. Uh, Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. The, the, the meaning here being, you, you don't need my name. You know who I am. And, and, and then Jacob goes on to call this place um, uh, Penuel, which means I've seen the face of God. Um, the idea here is that we must be brought to this place of absolute knowledge of our futility and our inability to create anything for ourselves and acknowledge that God is the only one who can do what we need to be done. Um, and he, God does not want to break your hip in the, in the process. He really doesn't because he wrestled with him until morning. He went from night all the way to dawn. So God really didn't want to have to break his hip, but he will go to the lengths. You know that song that we sing, you know, he'll, he'll fight till I'm found. He'll uh, break through, you know, uh, he'll, he'll leave the 99. You know that, that song. He will go to every length that it takes to to get you and to win you. And that should really be such a relief. That should really be such a remarkable relief. Um, And, uh, yeah, then he blesses him. And then Jacob now has two things that he carries away from this. A permanent limp and then this place that he can always go back to and he can always remember. God wants you to remember. Um, And, again, he doesn't want to wounds you in the process if, if you can help it and he can help it but, um, but he does want you to remember alright so last thing true freedom true security and authority um, uh, how surrender leads to that Matthew chapter 4 let's pull it up so Jesus the master of surrender the master of everything the one who all of this points to um, let's have a look at Matthew chapter 4 we're going to go 8 to 10 so freedom so I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard over my life from my own mouth and from the mouths of others, like, why can I not just be free from this? Like, there is this thing in my life and I just can't be free. Whether it's a certain sin, whether it's anxiety, whether it's like, you name it, like there is things in our life that we feel like, I just can't get rid of this. And like, God, please, again, you know, like help me. Take this. And yet we can't get rid of it. Um, What we seek is freedom. um, And what we seek ultimately actually is more than just freedom. It's identity. We seek to be a person who doesn't have to struggle with that thing anymore. Right? And free... Anyway, like... But for for all intents and purposes, we'll just say freedom. But like this goes down deeper than just simply being free of something. It goes down to the very nature of who you are, your identity. Um, and uh, uh, um, we get a beautiful model of how to, how to do this from the master himself, from Jesus. So let's have a look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. This is an excerpt. This is a little, the last test that Jesus faces when he's in the wilderness and te- Satan is tempting him. So this is what happens. Verse 8. Again, I mean, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth 
and all of their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Okay, so Jesus' whole mission and purpose, um, the reason why he came was to be the suffering servant Messiah, right? Like this is like read the gospels. That, that's his whole mission. So the whole thing is that he came to usher in the kingdom of God, but the way he would have to bring the kingdom here on earth is to suffer and to die and to be handed over to those who, uh, to evil. And then it is through that act of surrender, through that act of suffering that uh, he secures um, uh, life and freedom and, and everything else that we get to have because of what he did. Um, that's Jesus' journey. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows this. He's about to start his public ministry. He's out in the wilderness, ready to go. He's been fasting. He knows very well the, the path ahead of him. And Satan will directly target that. And so he says to him, hey, uh, you don't need to suffer. Uh, you just need to bow down to me. And I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you the world. Uh, you're aiming, you, you want to bring your kingdom here? Like, off you go. I'll, I'll step back, all yours. You just bow down to me. Now, obviously, that's not like surrendering to Satan means that, there's, that he's still in control. So, like, obviously, and Jesus is not uh, an idiot. But, um, but also, the whole thing here is that Jesus knows that there is no other way. And so he says, be gone. In fact, this is the only time that Jesus says, be gone. With, all the, uh, with the other two prior tests, Jesus just quotes scripture and says, nah, let's move on. This one, though, really gets to Jesus. He says, be gone. Um, and then he says, he quotes scripture and says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Um, Jesus's identity is rooted in his knowledge of what the God what, what his father says over his life and what his father dictates over his life. And so he knows there is no other way and he is rooted in the fact of who he, he knows who he is. He knows what he's there for. And so, no, right? But Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 to 28. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Oh, Peter, God bless you. You're such a sweet, like, Jesus just pats him on the head and says, Thank you, Peter, that's very sweet. But no, I'm, I'm being serious, like, this is really... No, Jesus says, he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Like, like extreme response it's hitting a nerve it's it's getting to jesus this is something that really matters to jesus because it's at the very root of who he is and what he's here to do it's at the very root of what he wants to convey to everyone in this room including uh and, and including his friends his disciples in that moment and to be told otherwise is a lie and comes from satan the opposer the enemy and Jesus is not going to have it. Jesus is going to shut it down very severely. Why? Because that's what surrender looks like. Why? Because he knows who he is. He knows what he needs to do. And he will not give an inch. He will not give an inch. But it, it's not coming from a place of, I need to control the outcome. It's coming from a place of, 
this is, this is the deal. Like, there is no other deal than this. I, I know that. I let go of any other option other than this one thing. It comes from a place of surrender. If you don't believe me, let's have a look at Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> oh, um, before we do that, though, so back to Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus goes on after he rebukes uh, Satan slash Peter. Um, verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, keep in mind, Jesus has not gone to the cross yet. Like, this is pre-Jesus' death. He's telling his disciples, just FYI, like, if you expect to really follow me, you must do the same level of surrender that I am going to do. And death on a cross, we view it now as like, Oh, what a wondrous and beautiful thing! And you know, your scarred hands are like we we are very poetic about it. It's horrifying, and it is torture, and it is barbaric, and it is painful, and it is the last thing that any human being with any shred of sense would ever want in their life. And Jesus says, uh, "Yeah, you guys, I expect you." To, so Peter, shut up, like. No, I'm not here for this. I'm here for surrender to the point of death on a cross. This is what God's will and his way looks like in my life. And FYI, this is the way it looks like in your life. You, you take up your cross. You be willing to do that. Jesus does not pull punches. like He, he gives it straight. It, it is called a narrow road for a reason. It's not easy. And then Matthew 26, verse 36 um, uh, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. This is literally hours before Jesus is about to go on the cross. He's just had the Last Supper with his disciples. Um, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And ta- uh, taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Three times he prays this. Each time, though, it gets more definite. Uh, the next time he says, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Um, the whole thing here is that Jesus does not want this. It's not that he's thinking, This is just what's got to happen. Like, it's all good. Let's get the show on the road. I'll just give myself a little bit of anesthetic before I get on there or whatever. No, Jesus does not want this. Jesus desperately does not want this. Three times he, becomes, he comes before his father and prays for this not to happen. But each time he also prays, but not my will, but yours be done. Which, by the way, is what he teaches his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. The whole thing is that Your will and my will, our control, our version of a good plan is not this. It's not this. And yet it is the only way, the only right, good, perfect, final way. And you just have to surrender. That does not mean that you just have to shut up and take it. Uh, Jesus does not shut up and take it. Jesus does not constipate himself emotionally and just says, whatever, God, like, all right, like, I'm not happy about this, but like, I'll get on. No, like, 
agony, turmoil, struggle. He, he asks his friends, who he knows don't get it, to come with him. He doesn't want to be alone. This is a man who desperately wants to find some comfort. This is a man who is expressing himself before his father. This is a man who is willing to surrender, but um, is, not, is not going to be like blunt and, 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 and dry in the midst of it. And that is the model. That's you and me. That's what we're supposed to emulate and be like. Um, and that's confronting. Um, and look, Jesus does go to the cross and he does die an agonizing death. He suffers more than most do because he got tortured and whipped and, and, um, and everything beforehand. And then uh, when he does die, he gets uh, buried and, and all that kind of stuff. But guess what? It's not the end of the story because of course it's not because that's God's plan and God does not just want to kill you for the sake of destroying you. God has a plan for life and goodness. But, but the whole thing is that you sometimes will not know, by the way, what, what, like how, how you achieve and how you gain that. Like what the pain is that you have to talk and what the end outcome is. But you'll be in the middle of the pain. You'll be in the middle of the turmoil. And you'll just have to say, God, in your hands, your will be done. I, you know, because I want you and I want freedom and I want the identity that you call me uh, to have not the one that I wish to have of myself. And uh, 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 Romans chapter 6, verse 22, 23, this is the reflection um, on uh, Jesus' act and, and this act of surrender. Uh, now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. In other words, when you are free, when you are free, when you are secure and sealed um, and you belong to him, you are free from everything that came before. But guess what? You're slaves. You're also slaves. Because you cannot... This is the dynamic that should change our perspective on life. You cannot be free and just full stop. You become free to one thing to become enslaved to something else. That's, the re- that's just... I'm sorry if that really upsets you. and like, That's the reality. There, there is no life that you can live where it's like... I'm going to have my cake and eat it too. I'm going to be free from my anxiety and I'm going to be free from my addiction to this and I'm going to be free from all this stuff while not being a slave to something else. It's not possible. There is something that your heart must go towards. There is something that you must become for you to be free of that stuff. And what you must become is a slave of God. That is what Jesus did on the cross. He was a slave. He was a child, he was an obedient child to his father, to the very end. And then that obedience, that slavery, if you want to call it that, um, led to ultimate freedom. Because you see, when you're on the other side, you don't view, when, you are a, when you are a slave to the living God, when you are his child and you are expected to obey your father, it is not like, oh man, like dad... No, it is an act of, it, it is ongoing liberation, it is ongoing freedom, it is ongoing life, because, as Paul says, it leads to sanctification, meaning purity, holiness, uh, um, uh, perfection, and its end, eternal life. Jesus defines eternal life in the book of John as knowing the Father. If you know God, you have eternal life. Um, it, 
Am I losing you guys? You, you, you're getting what I'm trying to kind of lay down here. You want to be free. God wants you to be free. But you cannot achieve it on your own. It cannot be, I must just be more positive. I must just think this way or do this. Or I must just, uh, you, know, uh, um, you know, stop dabbling in this area of my life or, or whatever. No, if you want to be free, you must give up. You must become a complete slave to God. You must, you must turn around. Like, that's what repentance is. Anyway, so, uh, and then one final reflection that we're going to read. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 2. Um, this is just after the faith chapter of the Bible. So we've just got the hall of fame of those who are faithful in the Bible. And then, uh, and then it says this in, in the first verse of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let's also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising or um, kind of looking down on its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, what Jesus did on that cross when he completely surrendered and he went to his enthronement, the cross was his enthronement, that was his kingdom day arrival. Um, His enthronement looked like pain and torture and suffering. And when he died on that cross, what he did through that act of surrender was he was looking towards the joy. What is that joy? It's you. It's you. It's you being here and deciding, I want you, God, more than anything else in my life. It's you deciding, I want to surrender to you like you surrendered to the point of death on that cross for me. That's the joy that Jesus had before him. And then what ended up happening was that surrender led to exaltation and glory and life and freedom and, and true fullness of everything that you could ever want in life, which is to be free of all the junk that you want to be free of. You are supposed to do the same thing and therefore set your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. He is your goal. He is your model. He is what you become. He is what you, when you think it can't be done, he is, he is the one who is in your heart who enables you to do those things. Not because you have control, but because you say, I cannot do this. You must do this in my life. So what does that mean practically? Because I know that we've, you know, I've given you some beautiful, lovely potential, uh, hopefully anyway, some wonderful things to consider and think about. But what does that actually look like, like for you to actually do? How can you live out in surrender, true um, uh, blessing, true um, security and true freedom? How can you do that? Well, um, I can't exactly answer that for you. You do have to kind of like come before God and figure that out yourself. Um, But you don't have to do it alone. And in fact, I actually think one of the most important steps is to talk to someone else, to talk to someone who is godly and who can kind of uh, engage with you on that journey. Um, But I'll I'll give you a couple of little potential challenges, okay? Um, One is just before you make any plan, before you make any plan, no matter how seemingly inconsiderate uh, it may seem to you, say, ask yourself two questions. One, what am I trying to achieve right now? 
am I trying to secure something for myself? Am I trying to uh, get blessed? Am I trying to try to like you know what am I trying? Am I trying to like just get free in this way or like, like what am I trying to achieve right now? The second question is: uh, Is this me doing it, or is this an act of surrender to God? And sometimes that can be a hard question to understand. Like the guy who um, who uh, you know doesn't want to. Uh, spend all his money on just, you know, trash, uh, locking out his bank account or, or his credit card. Is that a sign of surrender or is that a sign of control? Yeah, you know, ultimately, you know what? You're going to have to ask God. You're going to have to be surrendered in making that call yourself. You're going to have to ask God, God, I, I hope this is an act of surrender. Please, like, reveal to me if it's not. Give me a better way. But as best as I know how, this will be my act of surrender for now until you show me otherwise. God honors that. I can, I can tell you with experience, God honors that. Um, but another thing that you could potentially try doing, and this is really like super, 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 super important, is um, your life must be an open book. Your life must be an open book because you are not going to see a lot of things inside of you um, that God wants to point out. And God's beautiful yet bizarre way of, of doing things in this world is through us, through each other. And so when your life is an open book, when you are open, when you talk about it, when you're not giving the facade, the mask, the fake, uh, I'm a good Christian boy or a girl, um, when you're actually being real and you're actually owning what you need to own, I really want to do this because like, I really kind of just want to get famous. I really want to do this because I just, you know, there's part of my brain that's absolutely on fire for this thing and I don't know how to stop and I'm compulsive. I really want to do that. Whatever it is, you need to be an open book. People need to see right through you. Jesus was. Jesus literally was. Like we have his words documented about how he wants to get away from his suffering on the cross. That's not something that you share or tell people if like you're trying to appear, Jesus was real. Every day of his life, he was real. Not that he needed anyone to point anything out in him, but still, the, the point is that if you want God to start to highlight things in you, you be real. You be raw. You be an open book. And then what God will do is he will do what David the psalmist wrote. Um, Search me, O God, and reveal any wicked way that's in me so that I can walk in the ways everlasting. Your life, God wants, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis, and I promise it's the last thing, I'm sorry, but I'm rambling, but um, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis where he says, um, you know, when you open up your heart for Jesus to come in uh, and you say, God, change me, what you might have in mind is that he'll, you know, maybe put on a new coat of paint and he'll like, you know, maybe renovate the kitchen a bit and like make things look a bit spick and span and that kind of thing. Nah, Jesus is not not pleased with just that minor. Jesus wants a house to live in. He's going to tear down walls. He's going to disrupt the foundations. He's going to build a new floor. He is going to do some major work in you because it is a home he wants to live in. So um, can we close our eyes and bow our heads? And honestly, like, honestly, I encourage you. I can't do anything for you. Um, and this is the only level of control you actually have, um, is to come before God humbly, hopefully with sincerity, and ask him, what is it that I need to surrender?
Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your love um, pursues us all the way to the very core of who we are. You are not satisfied for us to be in pain, to be bound, to have false blessing, to have false security and false hope, Lord. Uh, You want to give us the real deal, and that is only found in you. Help us to live a life of true authenticity, a life truly bared so that you can show us all the different ways you want us to give up our control, Lord. May we surrender, may we do it actively, and may we do it with the strength that you give us, um, and may we do it all the days of our life so that we can become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.